Welcome to Making Sense of Money, a podcast dedicated to making financial topics easier to understand. I am Nikki Jancola Shanks. And I'm Andrew Pellegrini. Today, we're going to talk about dealing with emergencies. This is something that we've kind of talked about in a variety of ways on different episodes. So for example, we talked about comparison shopping when a large appliance goes out in episode 44, which is buying a, a large appliance. I talked about my many instances of financial emergencies in that episode. Then on our insurance episodes, all of our insurance episodes, those are about preparing to deal with potential risks, potential financial risks, like episode 39 on pet insurance or episodes 28 and 29 on tackling insurance with Patrice Desir from Illinois Department of Insurance. We also talked a little bit about emergency expenses in our financial security and stress episode two, which was episode 31, since a lot of financial stress comes from surprise expenses and emergencies. We specifically talked about emergency funds in episode 26, which are a really valuable tool for dealing with financial emergencies. Andrea and our colleague who has been on in the past as well, Kamaya Wallace-Bouchard from University of Illinois Extension, also co-facilitated a webinar earlier this year on financial emergency preparedness. So if you'd like to watch the recording of that webinar, we'll link it in the show notes. So as Andrea mentioned, there are a few types of financial emergencies that we've touched on in the past. When I personally think about financial emergencies, I tend to think of things breaking, whether that be a large appliance like we've talked about, but also like my car suddenly not working. Or recently the webcam just went off, stopped working on my laptop, which as now that I'm working from home, you know, is kind of a necessity for that. So that was a little scramble to figure out how we wanted to handle that expense now a little bit later, like, et cetera. I also tend to think of financial emergencies in terms of, this is just me personally, losing a job. Like if you don't have a job, that is a huge financial emergency. How do you deal with that and, and kind of structure your finances around that? Andrea, what are some other things that you think of when financial emergencies come up? So I think we've established in this entire podcast series that I'm really big on planning. And from the personality inventories episode that we did a while back, I'm also super big on security. So I like to be prepared for the unexpected. I do want to say that I don't suffer from anxiety, like thinking about all the specifics that could go wrong. But when we start to think about financial emergencies and having a history of working in financial well-being and looking at research, I tend to think of things like the fact that 68% of people between 18 and 65 survived by the Federal Reserve could cover a $400 expense without borrowing or selling something up. I know that I, I quote that a lot and that has changed over time. So that study that I'm referencing, the economic well-being of U.S. households, it was started in 2013. And that percentage was not always so high of people that are capable of covering a $400 expense. When I first read that report in like, I don't know, 2014 or 2015, the number was less than 50% of adults that could cover a $400 surprise expense. So that's a number that I always 
quote when I talk to people about starting an emergency fund goal, just maybe starting with 400, because just a few years ago, the majority of adults couldn't cover that in, in the United States, at least. Which I actually, the, the number jump there, it's still not exactly where we would want anything to be, right? right. It's still low, but I kind of like that jump made me feel like maybe podcasts such as this and financial education and literacy as a whole is becoming a little bit more mainstream where people are talking about it more and actively working on their financial wellness. Well, and even from the past couple of years, we've experienced a lot of people, regardless of their income potential or levels, have experienced some type of financial loss. So having more than $400 they know is ideal in their emergency fund, which I also think helps. There's a lot of contributing factors, I think, to to that changing. I also think about the fact that there are lots of things that can count as financial emergencies. Like Nikki already mentioned, it's not just always a surprise expense, like a flat tire or a bill you forgot about, or just needing to cover your copay if you have to file an insurance claim. For a lot of the most financially vulnerable people, it's also a surprise loss of income, like a job loss, or even just your hours being cut one week. That could be a a huge financial emergency. When Kamaya and I did the webinar earlier this year, we also talked about the costs associated with natural disasters. Since it was at the start of tornado season in the Midwest, and you know, there's like you hear all about people losing everything from those things. And I didn't previously explicitly think about those potential costs as much up until we did the webinar, but now kind of as a homeowner, and I've experienced a flood in my finished basement before, I do think to the, tend to think about those potential costs as well. But we're, we're always going to have surprise expenses. And we could definitely have those surprise income dips. So I think just planning ahead is great, but it's, it's also not possible to plan for everything. So I think we should also talk about what to do when a financial emergency actually happens. So I think we've established between the two of us that there are many different types of emergencies that can occur. Most of them have some sort of cost associated with them. They might be related to health, right? Of ourselves, family members, pets, dog child, as my friend has now started to refer to Leah. They could be household related, like repair, home repairs, unplanned transitions, maybe between your housing situation, unanticipated travel, family emergencies. And like Andrea just said, it could be disasters, natural disasters like tornadoes or wildfires. So we probably also know these financial emergencies can lead to both immediate and long-term setbacks to reaching our goals, such as saving or paying down debt, continuing our education, and you know, also disrupting our fun funds like vacation or maybe a well-deserved or desired purchase that you want. Ultimately, having a plan before an emergency happens, even though you can't plan for everything, but just having a basis of a plan can help you manage stress in case you ever need to implement the plan. 
the first step in creating a plan for dealing with emergencies is to assess your needs. And the best way to do that is to get organized. There are lots of ways to do this, and I don't think one way is better than any other way. But some of the things that you'll want to get organized includes your finances, obviously, your home, as well as any personal things. So it's it's a lot easier to assess what like your insurance needs are or just for someone else to be able to take over your responsibilities, be them financial or otherwise. Like with estate planning, if you have everything kind of generally organized, I don't think any of us are going to get like super organized, but working a little bit towards organizing things in little ways can be really helpful when an emergency happens. You're also going to want to think about your relationships and your responsibilities to those people, since this will also impact your plan too. So who depends on you and who do you depend on? So for example, for me, I depend on my husband and I for our salary, but our daughter, Carissa, depends on us for everything. (laughs) Um, But once you've gotten organized and assessed your dependency situations, you can better identify risks and tools you may need to cover those risks. So for example, insurance is a tool you can use to protect against financial risks, but you may also think about purchasing a portable sump pump in case you have a basement that floods. It may not just be financial tools that you're gonna need to have in case of an emergency. For example, I'm just gonna throw this out, out there as a personal example for us would be childcare backup childcare for us. Like, all right, if our daycare is closed because somebody got COVID there, like what, what is our backup plan? Do we have room in our budget to maybe pay a babysitter while we're working or, or something like that? I'd like to just chime in here and say that my husband is the one that's really good at thinking about non-financial tools that might be useful to deal with potential emergencies. So I'm over here like, we need to have a baller emergency fund. And he's like, but what about a first aid kit and an eyewash station in the garage? So I will say, we actually were very, very close to the torna- the big tornado that touched down in Illinois. I think that was two years ago now. But Who knows, COVID times. I know. it's <laughs> It was either a year or two years ago. And I'm talking about like streets over And at that time, you know, up until that point, oh no, it had, my daughter was born. So it had to be within the last year and a half. (laughs) So, you know, in the past when it was just my husband and I was like, all right, we'll go in the basement. We'll like work it out. But I remember we were in the basement for a long time and my daughter was sleeping and it was actually my husband who looked at me was like, while we were down in the basement, like we need to make a list and plan for this better. Because we need diapers down here and backup baby food and like a bottle, you know, like, cause at the time I was still nursing and pumping and, you know, like, like just all of that stuff. And he is much better at that than I am too. I think it's easy when you start to think about the physical things that you need to get into like almost 
doomsday preppers mode, you're in the emergency and you're starting to think about it, or even just like having anxiety about the potential emergencies. But there are ways to build emergency kits for different types of situations that are more practical and based on your situation. For instance, your husband mentioned like, we need a a bottle down here and we need formula and baby food. That makes sense because you have a baby that will change when Carissa gets older. And so the needs will change. So assessing what your emergency kits look like, what's in them, Obviously, you don't want expired stuff in your first aid kit, right? So that's another part of like regularly looking at your emergency plan and thinking about those emergencies and what might you need or not need anymore. That's a great point. I also think that another way to stay practical with your plan is to understand your current situation, which is kind of what Andrea just alluded to for the non-money things, right? Like food may expire in your emergency kit, right? But when it comes to finances, you're going to want to understand what your monthly, your typical monthly income minus your expenses, right? So you know how much you may have for savings. You'll want to know your net worth. So this is when you take the value of all your assets, cash, physical things like cars, and you minus all your debts. You'll want to know if you can afford another payment. So like if you would need to purchase insurance or if you'd have to take out a loan or pay for a longer term service to deal with a financial emergency. On the large appliance episode, both Andrew and I shared stories about large expenses that decided to stop working, right? And and those types of service deals and, and things to look out for. Also pulling your credit reports from annualcreditreport.com can give you info about what is in your reports and give you an opportunity to clean up any mistakes that may be there. That's also really important because again, some of these situations, you may have to apply for an emergency loan, or maybe you're opening up a store credit card with a special interest rate to lower the cost of your new washer, whatever it might be. But if your credit score is not there, you may not get the full benefit of what you're looking for. Or you don't want to be in a situation where like there's errors on your credit report. And so you're denied credit based on those errors and you're in financial distress already. So now you have to dispute the errors, right? So the the value of looking at annualcreditreport.com is that on those reports that you pull from Equifax, TransUnion, (laughs) and Experian, you can look at all of your reports from those competing companies in one location and make disputes right there. You don't have to like mail things in typically. You might have to, but doing that before you're in financial distress just makes it so much easier than if you find out because you're in financial distress, there are errors on your reports. When we're thinking about more specific kind of tangible things that you can do now before any financial emergencies happen, You can do things like establish or build an emergency savings. Like I said earlier, maybe start with $400 and then work up from there. Some financial planners suggest three months. Some suggest six months of of total expenses, like your monthly expenses. Some suggest a year. I think it would be very difficult for most normal people to save up that much. (laughs) Um, I would say in my head, honestly, I feel like some of these numbers 
if you have nothing and then you hear a professional be like, and you need to save a year of expenses and you're living paycheck to paycheck, that doesn't sound reasonable. And it turns people off to this type of emergency planning, Yeah, which is why I feel like it's important for us to stress that even if it's, you can only afford $30 a month right now. Yeah. Even if it's less, like just starting somewhere, you'll be better off when it does come to a financial emergency happening. Exactly. Exactly. So I just wanted to kind of point that out. I know those types of like, I remember the first time I heard that I was like, what? I'm not, what? Like why even try? If right? that's, that's completely unattainable goal, but you can start out really small. That's why I like the $400 number to eventually get to, and then exactly. you're building a savings habit. So whenever your income does increase or you get like an extra amount somewhere, you can already have that savings habit in there, which can be really helpful for reaching a a broader goal. The expense kind of amount of expenses, right? Like months uh, as far of expenses is usually based on what the risk is, right? So like when there's higher levels of unemployment rates, usually you hear people say six months of expenses is what's recommended. It's because people have been unemployed for longer amounts of time, but that doesn't make it a reasonable amount for some people. So start small and then work up, just start where you can. And if you can only do $30 a month or you know, $5 a week or whatever it is, I think that's fine. It's good to start those habits. So other tangible things you could do, you can keep all of your financial records or other important documents and cash safe. You might want to buy a waterproof or fireproof safe for all those documents or alternative. Maybe you buy a crosscut shredder for pre-approval offers so you can shred those things, shred financial statements as you get those in the mail to avoid kind of dumpster diving fraud, which can happen in large areas and community like places as well. And I do just want to stress, I'm guilty of this too. Like I, sometimes I'll take something and rip it in half. And Steve's like, what? That didn't actually rip any of the confidential information. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Go get the shredder. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it, I feel like it's one of those things you're like, does anybody really do that? Like, is this, ri-? yeah, no, they do. They do. We're here to tell you they do. Unfortunately, but that might be a physical thing that you purchase to to try to help protect yourself a little bit. You might review your insurance coverage to make sure you're not underinsured for certain types of risks. You might look for ways to protect your property. Maybe you put locks on things or update your locks. Maybe you look for ways to invest in security options, right? Maybe a car alarm system if you have to park in kind of a questionable area, or maybe you look for other ways to protect your property. You might like physically write down or update your emergency plan. For example, where will your family meet if there's a disaster of some type? Will it be like around your home or is there like a business in town that you might meet at if you get separated and there's no cell service, for instance? You might also consider working with a qualified financial professional if you've identified a need for better insurance or a special type of savings or investment account. And then the other kind of tangible 
goal or thing, task you can do is communicate what your plans are and any relevant information to appropriate loved ones. You want to tell like people in your immediate family, maybe like people you're very close to, probably don't care to tell like the details of your emergency plan to your uncle that lives in California and you live in Illinois, right? He might not be able to help you unless you're like really close and people know to call that uncle if they can't find you. <laughs> so just those are some, some smaller tasks that you can do to get started. Let's also talk about assessing insurance needs. We did have podcasts a while ago just dedicated to to some insurance topics, and we'll do this again. But just in general, you're going to want to make sure you have appropriate health and life insurance based on your situation. This is something that I recently had to switch around when we had our daughter, right? It's always that reassessing where you're at in your life. If you know that you're going to have certain medical costs each year, you may be able to use a flexible spending account, FSA, or health savings account in HSA. So that's something that you may want to look into. And after, now that you've assessed your risks, you can better select property insurance for your needs. So home, vehicle, renter insurance, some of those are required, right? but some are not. And so you may want to figure out what's riskier for you. Is it to not have this insurance or two? Well, and even with auto insurance, the minimum, the state minimums in Illinois is really very low for what the costs could be if you got in an accident. Correct. And I was actually, what I was thinking about as I was saying it and my brain got a little jumbled too, was renter's insurance, right? So some people swear by renter's insurance. And other people are going to say, no, you don't need it. So it's got to be what you feel most comfortable in in that situation. I happen to know somebody who had to use their renter's insurance because there was a fire in the building and all of his clothes and everything were totally damaged. And so if he didn't have renter's insurance, it would have been really hard for him. So I know like he will always get renter's insurance right (laughs) after that experience. Other people may have different feelings on it and depending on their budget. Well, Um, and and that's why listening to our insurance episode might help you get a better idea of whether it's worth it for you to get renter's insurance. Exactly. You also may need to purchase additional disaster insurance. So what I mean by this is things like floods, earthquakes, maintenance damage, sewer backups are often not covered by homeowner's insurance. Yes, I said floods. So if you know that you live in an area that typically floods or, you know, your sewer, it may be worth it for you to spend that money on insurance in the long run. Absolutely. So let's talk about the steps you can take during an emergency. So you don't want to be afraid to use that emergency savings that you've built up. You might need to contact credit card companies and other lenders to let them know what's going on and see what your options are for repayment. This is where that getting organized with your financial information and accounts can be really helpful. You might need to reach out for assistance, maybe to local community organizations, friends, families, neighbors, or other organizations. And then you might want to make a list of current expenses since that will be helpful to prioritizing what your spending is going to look like if you need to make any changes 
for your recovery after the disaster or emergency. So let's talk about an example of an emergency. Andrea, do you remember what is called the Great Flood of 1993? I was very, very young, but I remember visiting my grandparents and the entire park and the playground along the Mississippi River was super flooded. So we couldn't play at the park where we usually did. Like, I don't, I don't even think we could go into the parking lot because it was so flooded, but that's like the most visceral memory that I have of it. I, anything else is probably like what I read as an adult about it. Yeah. Some people may be able to remember this. I personally don't, as I'm like trying to think, I know the first house I grew up in had a whole bunch of flooding, but it wasn't part of the great flood of 1993. So like it was kind of around there. I was still really young, but I do remember flooding, but I, I think it was not the same flood, right? But it was our own neighborhood emergency because there was issues with the sump pumps there and, and a whole bunch of things. And there were TV cameras there all the time. This is kind of a funny story. There were TV cameras there all the time because this neighborhood gets so flooded. And my dad was one of the guys who would go out and help like clear water up from whatever. And my dad, one time during one of the broadcasts got so mad, he went and stuck a for sale sign right in front of the house. <laughs> In the middle of it. And my mom was like, Frank, I don't think that now is the greatest time to be advertising this. So yeah, that's my funny story. But anyway, in order that's to- hilarious. <laughs> 100% true. My mom tells the story all the time. Like, what did he think someone was going to want to buy this house? <laughs> but in order to prepare for flood recovery, which is probably going to be very similar to other types of natural disasters, you want to get your home ready, get out the sump pumps if you have them, maybe sandbags. We did in our neighborhood. If you are close to a river or a waterway, we had them not because we were close to a river or waterway, just to stop water from coming in from everywhere. You're also going to want to understand the level of emergency. So for example, there's a flood watch when conditions are right for a flood to occur. And then a flood warning, there's an indicator that the flooding is already happening. I would also like to point this out for those of us who live in the Midwest, it says tornado watch. It means that conditions are already like they're right. A tornado could happen. If it's a tornado warning, that means there is a tornado somewhere near you. <laughs> get in the basement, get in your bathroom. Yes. Get away from windows. Don't do what I love to call the typical Midwestern dad thing, which is go stand outside like you are going to stop the tornado from coming. <laughs> Both my father and my husband like to do this. Oh, it's not that bad. What are you a meteorologist? Get in the basement. <laughs> and then also we you want to create an emergency supply kit, which Andrea has talked about, or get yours out if you already have it, right? If you're in the middle of the emergency, you want to grab it. If you didn't do it before, just know kind of like some things that you're going to want to grab, right? A first aid kit, bag of clothes and a Ziploc bag, a flashlight, etc. And then always, you know think about preparing food and water just in case you need it, your supplies there. These steps would be very similar to other natural disasters. 
like the tornadoes that I just mentioned or hurricanes, et cetera. So after a financial emergency occurs, especially if it's natural disaster related, there are many steps that you can take to work towards financial recovery. And different organizations have toolkits to break these steps down in different ways. So we'll just share those in the show notes. We'll have a couple different links that you can choose from and see what worksheet or booklet or whatever works best for you. For example, disasterassistance.gov has lots of different tools on their website. Some of the things they suggest to do is to watch out for scams. They tend to come out of the woodwork during and after times of crisis. You want to be cautious about giving out personal information. You want to ask for any proof of identification before disclosing personal details. For example, Just because someone has on like fireman's uniform doesn't mean that they're a fireman, for instance. So maybe not give them personal information. Same with other emergency services professionals. Just ask for clear laminated (laughs) identification and know where to report any issues when you run across them. You want to make a list of all the property damage, if any has occurred. You can even make videos or take photos of the damage. That can be really helpful, especially if you're like dazed or in shock, just going through and kind of taking video or taking pictures. Then you're not having to figure out how to hold your pen or write things down at the same time you're dealing with the shock. In the case of floods specifically, you'll want to file a flood insurance claim. If you have flood insurance, you'll want to take that list of expenses you made earlier and figure out how to prioritize your spending. You might need to research tax breaks that could help in your recovery process. Sometimes that's an option. And you'll want to turn off any utilities if you've had significant damage in to your home, like a fire or flood where you can't stay there anymore. University of Minnesota Extension created Recovery After Disaster, the Family Financial Toolkit that adds a couple other valuable steps, such as documenting important details, since you may need to repeat yourself to a lot of different people or organizations, and referencing accurate information can help. I think we've all probably experienced, whether it's been in an emergency or just in general with life, you can remember something, but you may be missing a detail and you're like, oh, I'll never forget that. And then like two weeks later, you can't remember it. So writing things down, make sure you are taking care of yourself because that is important. So you can help kids, elderly, pets, et cetera, cope with a potentially traumatizing situation or change. Accept financial help if it's offered to you. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you need it, take it. And also don't be afraid to raise your hand and ask for help. Go to different maybe government agencies that have relief programs or nonprofits that are helping. And if you have a small business or you work in agriculture, you may want to identify resources specific to assisting people in those particular situations. But don't feel like you have to do everything at once a lot to handle when you're in these situations. Maybe you divide and conquer tasks with your family members or spouse, or maybe you just try to do things one or two at a time. It will already be very stressful to deal with this type of upheaval to your life. So just be kind to yourself. So FEMA's financial first aid kit suggests you do a lot of things that we already talked about. But it's like a checklist to help you make things a little bit easier for creating a plan. 
since the first step in FEMA's checklist is to assess and compile information about your finances or risks, like we talked about earlier, let's revisit ways to protect your stuff and your information. There are two main types of storage that you can use to protect your stuff. There's physical storage and digital or virtual storage. So examples of physical storage for documents and other small valuables can include a safe, like I talked about earlier, or you might be able to rent like a bank deposit box. Uh, your safe might be in your home or it could be somewhere else, but you may want to consider getting a waterproof, fireproof, or anti-theft storage to keep your important documents or other small valuables or cash protected. Examples of digital or virtual storage could include cloud storage, password managers, which everybody knows I'm a big fan of, or encrypted hard drives that you might keep in a safe, either in a bank deposit box away from your home or somewhere in your home. Sometimes people might leave a encrypted hard drive at a friend's house or a trusted family member's house in case something happens at their house, like a fire or a flood. You'll probably want to use some type of hybrid storage plan where you have physical backups. If you use a virtual or digital storage solution for like documents and important information. So we've talked about steps you can take at various stages of a financial emergency. What to do before one happens, what to do during when you're experiencing a financial emergency, and what to do after. Hopefully you don't experience or haven't experienced any traumatic financial emergencies, but I think we've given a lot of different ideas for getting started with a financial plan or emergency preparation that can help just in case something does happen. Thank you all for joining us today. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share Making Sense of Money on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify.